Traveling the Vortex. We've joined the Doctor as he travels the Vortex and prepare to go to move 1023. It's episode 412. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. Cheers. The game's over. We just went to... so It's the, over. So the podcast's Boop. over. So No, the podcast can begin because we're out of the... Oh, we escaped. I'm Glenn then. All right. Yeah, I got see? you. I thought maybe since we did the final move... The games so are over. Oh, we're that now isn't on the to the show. Oh. Good night, everybody. <laughs> 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 Did you guys you, have a good week? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, nothing special, but <laughs> do anything fun? Just get ready for Christmas. Yeah, watched a couple more Christmas carols this week. So I knocked out Scrooged, which with the Bill Murray the parody, love that one. That's so fun. And then I watched another one, an animated one from '97, I think it was, that had the voice of Tim Curry as Scrooge. It had Whoopi Goldberg, not playing it funny, playing it straight, and with a British accent for as she plays the ghost of Christmas present. And Ed Asner is the voice of Marley. And <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> it was um, kind of subpar. Anim- no, I always say subpar. It was average animation. It was nothing special, nothing to write home about. Uh, I thought Tim Curry did an adequate job, but the thing is none of them really do anything to give it something different than uh-huh. what Christmas Carol is. The only thing that really makes this particular version of it stand out is there's a dog. <laughs> Scooch has a dog that goes along with him on two of the occasions, and then it does it on the end. But You have to watch The Man Who Invented Christmas. Yeah, that's another one that's on my list. We watched it this week. I sort of thought about maybe waiting till after Christmas for that one. And Is it truly a Christmas movie? It is truly a Christmas movie, I think. It, it's, it's, it is to... Um, Dickens and A Christmas Carol uh, what Shakespeare in Love is to Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It's okay. that kind of... Mm. Yeah, that's kind the, of the impression the, you the, get. The, it's, yeah. it's a fictionalized account of the backstory of how this came about. Um, but it, 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 it's just a delight. It's got a lot of fun performances and um, yeah, no, it's it would be a perfect capstone okay. for you. So, but uh, yeah, had I seen it last year it probably would have made my top ten of the year list. Oh, wow. It was, I really, wow. really enjoyed it. It was that good. Huh, cool. And it's on Prime, so watch yeah. it. Yeah. Did you watch anything else this week? Uh, yeah, something that Keith watched as well. What did I watch? I heard that you watched uh, uh, Christmas Chronicles. Christmas Chronicles. Oh, uh, a while ago. Was that a while ago? ago? That was a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. He, he, you even talked about oh, it. I guess yeah. you did talk about ago. it last week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you think it was we watched it. Christmas oh, Chronicles. Oh, so much fun. Isn't it? <laughs> very much in the vein of the Santa Claus. There's a lot of kind of cool newfangled prep and landing sure. gizmos and bits and bobs about it. How he does it, the magic. Um, and, you know, the the, the, the the Christmas story of it is just, just kind of there. Yeah. Um, but it's Kurt Russell playing Santa, so that that's really the, 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 the magic of it. Those are really the two big ones that we knocked out. So Keep. We watched the ever-festive Mamma Mia 2. Here, we, here, here I go again. <laughs> it was okay. I did not like it as much as yeah, the first one. It's, it's, and I wasn't a big fan of the first one. That's what a lot of people fun. said. It seemed like it's the B-side of the greatest hits. <laughs> I knew, like, 
the repeated songs and then Fernando were the only songs I actually knew in it because there was, you know, there were the staples you have to have if yeah. you're doing a Mamma Mia. And then <laughs> they added Fernando and it was okay. And it felt like somebody it. said, there's just not enough familiar songs. Let's do a couple repeats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you watch anything else? No. Uh, Once upon a Sesame street Christmas. Ah, yes. You we did watch, we did watch it. We didn't watch the Sesame street Christmas Carol, but it's cute. It's Elmo's dad telling Elmo's story of. I, uh, it's Elmo's dad. You said that lazily enough that I thought you said Elmo's dad, and he's telling a Christmas story. What? <laughs> Elmo's dad is telling dad. Elmo a Christmas story dad, of okay. what it, of how Christmas came to Sesame Street. Ah, I see. I have this little image of Elmo with a halo and wings and a harp, and I'm getting teared up now. <laughs> Starts out like American Beauty. I'm dead. <laughs> That'd be uh, a great parody. One of the <laughs> movie parodies. Should we discuss the gifts that we got each other? Oh, we could talk about that. Absolutely. We, we did open our Christmas gifts ahead of recording. And Glenn got me the awesome game Codenames that I can't wait to play. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. Glenn got me the awesome game uh, Choose Your Own Adventure House of Danger based on the book by R.A. Montgomery which is a cooperative adventure game by Prosper Hall, which is if you've ever read one of the old Choose Your Own Adventure books, it's apparently that. But yeah, they were huge form. in the late 70s and early 80s. So I can't wait Those to play books that. Were great. Keith got me a couple of figurines, Mickey figurines. They're uh, a Funko line, uh, Mickey True Original. And actually, they probably are coincide with the, uh, not, the yeah, yeah, they're the side, 90 years, 90th anniversary. Uh, and one of them is um, uh, the uh, Conductor Mickey. Uh, from the uh, band concert. And then the other one is, which is actually one of my favorite versions of Mickey. And the other one is the uh, Musketeer Mickey from Three Musketeers. So those were very cool. And then Keith got me the uh, a Die Hard Christmas illustrated holiday classic, which is a little... Uh, <laughs> a, a children, it's a children's a style children's book. book. It's children's very, very book, clever. Yeah. And uh, we are going to read this tomorrow night with the kids. Does so it say yippee ki And I would bleep this part here, but I will just be lazy and not say it. <laughs> You're going to have to edit out the silence yep. anyways. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is Happy Trails. Sean got me a gift card and a tin of popcorn. Where's the gift card to? Barnes and Noble. All right. Because when I walk out of it later, I want to know where I was spending. Hey. No. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and a belated uh, <laughs> birthday gift of a Amazon gift card. Yeah. And then Sean got me a really, really cool print by an artist um, of a Dalek. And it's a, uh, it's kind of a, it's one of those cool, you know, almost, I think it's pen and water, uh, watercolor. Probably that's watercolor. Yeah. It looks yeah, like watercolor. Watercolor base. And uh, it's very, very cool. Very sweet. So Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right, should we move on to news now? Let's move on to All news. Right. Uh, it's kind of a slow news week as we wait for resolution to air, but Big Finish never fails to come through with some news. <laughs> they have announced that Torchwood's Captain John Hart is returning to his role in a box set called The Sins of Captain John. Sounds interesting. So it's a whole box set just about Captain John. It looks like it's on the heels uh, and written by the guy who did the death of Captain Jack. Uh-huh. Kind of a companion piece. Yeah. Do you think Big Finish sits around and you know, the weeks that they don't have something releasing or the weeks that they decide that they need to talk about something releasing? Because it sure seems like we get a lot of Big Finish news. Yeah. 
And so this is also, of course, him coming back to Big Finish because he did have a role in the death of Captain Jack, the box set. So he's back with his own box set now. Everyone gets a box set. <laughs> you get a box set, and you get a box set, and you get a box set. Very cool. Yeah. What else? Uh, we have some news. We have some news. Sean, you want to take this? No. <laughs> <laughs> we are starting a, in collaboration with Sci-Fi For Me, a video podcast called Tardis Sauce. It will debut on their YouTube channel uh, January 9th, something along those lines. 10th, isn't it? Maybe it doesn't 9th or 10th. I don't know we have the press release here. We can just look I at it. should pull up the press release, <laughs> shouldn't I? It's and it news will, to me. It will Mine air bi-weekly. Right. Yeah. So every other week, starting yes. in January. And uh, we'll actually have some uh, really cool topics to talk about. It'll be... it's it's We look at it as kind of an extension of this show. It's something yeah. that we kind of do here, but it'll be a, a video. You'll be able to find it on YouTube and Twitch. Um, and then... Uh, if things work out right, we might have some local television coverage as well. So, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. is when I knew it's it was Wednesdays. Drop. That's why I was thinking this night sounded strange because isn't Saturday the or Sunday the 7th? Wednesday the 9th. Okay. If you just don't get enough of us as is, I'll be able to double dip. Well, and we'll be joined by Tim Harvey. From yes, from sci fi for, for me. me, one of the anchors there. He's and gonna he's, he's gonna a, help moderate us. He is a big Good luck to him. Big, yeah. <laughs> he's a big Doctor Who fan, so he's been for a long time. Yeah. You realize we're gonna have to step up our game. I mean <laughs> We will? Well, if he's a big Doctor Who fan, he probably knows what he's talking about versus us. And Well, uh, you're the only one here that doesn't know what he's talking about, so I'm gonna to have to step up my. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's a video podcast, so we gotta actually, you know, look presentable. Yeah, now. we can't come in our pajamas. It's gonna be the biggest. Well, it's gonna only be chest we'll up. To, we'll have to comb our hair. Pants. We'll have to comb our hair. Trim, speak, trim the facial hair. Speak for yourself. I'm, I'm planning on showing up in my pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they're Tardis pajamas. Looking Tart- like there I, you go. There you go. Looking like I just rolled out of bed. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully this uh, this uh, venue will allow us. I didn't us, brush my teeth. <laughs> hopefully the venue will allow us to uh, do a look, some different things than we normally get yeah, to. Absolutely. Really get to show some of the things we've only been able to describe, or conventions that we go to from here on out. We can you know provide some additional coverage to and whatnot. Absolutely. Sounds Looking like forward to it. It'll be a lot yeah. of fun. So be watching for that, and of course we'll we'll keep reminding you where you can find it. And when if you're, you if you're not already, uh, go to Facebook and like the uh, Sci-Fi for Me page, and, and make sure you subscribe to them on YouTube so you can find the video yes. cast when it comes out. Speaking of likes, and we did thank people on uh, Facebook, but uh, again, thank you for yeah. uh, putting us over 500 likes over the weekend. Um, that was actually or last week or late last week. That was actually Sean made a push and. Got us up there, and we've set we've we've made that goal. So we'll set on our goal in the future and try to get even further. So yeah, absolutely, very cool. Anything else? That's it for news. How about feedback? We have anybody this week? Nothing this week. Nobody this week. Well, I suppose then we can move on to our rousing review of the Toy Maker, Celestial Toy Maker. That's nah, just the Toy Maker. Just the Toy Maker. <laughs> <laughs> What's that was it? not one of yeah, the episode what, titles. Well, so, Sean said it was a Christmas story, right? So 
He made somewhere, toys, right? Outside space and time, there waits the celestial toy maker, an enigmatic being who ensnares unwary travelers into his domain to play out his dark and deadly games. Until the end of that, it almost sounds like they're describing Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and then it becomes kind of more of a Krampus thing. Right. <laughs> Separated from the security of the TARDIS, the Doctor is forced to play a complex trilogic game with the evil magician. Meanwhile, Dodo and Steven must enter into a series of tests with, among others, the schoolboy Cyril and the King and Queen of Hearts. If they lose, they are condemned to become the toy makers' playthings for all eternity. For the malevolent wonderland that is the Celestial Toy Room, nothing is just for fun. I thought you were going to dig the horn out there, Sean. Oh, man, was I tempted. But tis the season to be jolly and merry. So instead, I'll just stay silent. I enjoyed it. Really? I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> well, what'd you like about it? I, yeah, I, I liked a little bit of what you like. Sell me on it. It had a, a very Alice in Wonderland feel to it to me. And it felt like Doctor Who kind of doing Alice in Wonderland uh, into this abstract, weird society that this all-powerful being has created and that's what he enjoys is making people play games and then keeping them as toys <laughs> okay it's basic it's got a simple plot but the mechanics i enjoyed even the for the most part the execution from what i could tell from most of the telesnaps i i, I was okay with i i like the pacing of it and how each episode had its own game that they had to play and some of them were even split in two beyond that I liked how they dealt with the doctor being on holiday. <laughs> I thought they did a good job of making him there, but not actually there by taking his voice away and making him still play the game. So he was still a presence. Um, yeah. And it also gave me kind of feels uh, the feel of the mind robber. Which I of was about I like to say, too. I completely expected that from key. Yeah. Who's one of his favorite epi- or stories. So the fact that they went to the robber. kind of at weird abstract and, in the sixties, this uh, is a this is a few years before the mine. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So that's that's some of the reasons I liked it. I didn't like the clowns. I'll say that. What, <laughs> Gwen? What did you? Think? I'm I'm real middle of the road on this one. I don't think this is certainly not one of my favorite stories. But for all the things that Keith said, are things that I I like. I appreciated that in the 1960s, probably what around 62, 63, 64, you know, 64, 65. This is what they did. And um, I, I appreciate the fact that they did choose some abstract ideas to do on television on Doctor Who. It at this feels time. very bold. Yeah. Um, it also strikes a humorous tone at times. And I think that that is kind of a neat little foil to the fact that the this is basically the Hunger Games for uh, Stephen and Dodo. I mean, they, <laughs> they have to escape with their lives. Because they can either get out or die. When the, when the Celestial Toymaker puts it forth that they're going to play these games or stay there forever, that's mostly applied to the Doctor. He wants the Doctor to lose his game so that he can stay and continue to play games with the Doctor. But every time that the—and the Doctor's never in any peril. He's just moving things around the board. Oh, right. His yeah. peril is he is stuck there. Theirs, every time they move to a new game— there it's survival 
they are going to die if they do it wrong. And so I really kind of appreciated the fact that there's a there's a there's a, a, a counterbalance to what's happening there with the doctor, especially. And I agree. I thought it was relatively clever, although blatantly obvious that he was on vacation or on holiday, oh, yeah. <laughs> rather that uh, they did that, especially. And I forgot to look this up, but when he before he loses the voice. I thought the first time I thought that this is my second time through on this. I watched this a few years back, especially when I was reading uh, 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 Neil and Sue Perriman doing their book series. And uh, when I first saw this, I was certain that he just recorded some lines before he left. This time, when I listened to it, the in the when the episode starts and he still has his voice before the toy maker, that sounds like a completely different actor trying to do Hartnell. And so I wondered if maybe that was even mm-hmm. recorded by somebody and they decided, okay, that's enough. Now we'll pull the voice away so we don't have to have this really bad impersonation. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate what they did there. And then I like the, back to the comedy element of it, I do like the characters that are brought on board. And I, I didn't think of this until Keith brought it up, the fact that it does feel a little Alice in Wonderland. I don't, I don't. I can't really put my finger. Well, on certainly the, pl- the playing card, the playing card aspect of it. Does. But I even thought but, but that more so in it. the Just, first issue, in well, the first, a, first part, I thought that. There's a bit of surrealness. The kind of you know the Cheshire Cat or Tweedledee and Tweedledum kind of playing with Alice. Well, especially and, when Cyril and, comes along yes, later, well, he very much looks like Tweedledee or Tweedledum. <laughs> yeah, he most definitely does. But but he, like even the clowns having you know just putting just offsetting. I think uh, our, I think what it is is Alice in Wonderland is so much. A, these are friendly faces, but there's evil lurking beneath them, kind of. You know, there's there's malice behind a lot of what they do, or there's it's not necessarily niceness. They're not always looking out for your best interest in Wonderland. Yeah. And this is very much that same way. I think that is part of why I see the connection. I would agree with that. Um, I quite enjoyed Michael Gao, although he doesn't do a lot. He really but doesn't. He very charismatic in this role and i think he embodies that role really well um i think the other thing is one the first time i went through this i i struggled with it because i i sort of knew the plot peripherally from reading things online but i i struggled to follow exactly what was going on and of course the the first three episodes of this story are missing so we relied on uh, uh reconstructions and i watched the exact same reconstructions last time and i just had a little bit of trouble following along this time was very helpful having read the book first and then going back and watching it. Um, it. It flowed with me a little better. Nothing really seemed missing the first time that I did. Well, obviously, but the moving pictures. Um, but uh, nothing seemed missing, but there was just little elements of it that I just wasn't quite getting. And so this time knowing, having read it, been a little more thorough with it, watching it, it seemed I kind of was able to absorb it a little more. And maybe because it was also my second viewing, too. And that could also be part of why I enjoyed it so much was I read the entire novelization before I watched any of the yeah. reconstructions. Yeah. And that just seems to work out so well, too. So I knew what I was kind of expecting. And I think, I think of, Jerry Davis did such a good job novelizing it that it, it helped me enjoy it. And any parts of the actual episode that might be a little lacking, I was able to fill in mentally without even trying. Well, the to. interesting thing about it is I read the foreword, and he talked about how you know it, it was quickly written because he had to go home and write this thing, basically, because they had lost this screenwriter that they had originally yeah. and the concepts that they had for this story. And they couldn't use it suddenly. And so he had to rewrite it and, and, and do something different with it. And so and I appreciated the fact that he was able to do that in a, in a crux. But 
<laughs> Obviously, it didn't work for you, but, <laughs> Sean. But um, so, but then he also mentioned that you know how long it took them to novelize the book because this is like you know one hundred one in the in the uh, uh, target range. So this is way yeah. down the road. And he said, you know, he makes a comment in the foreword about being able to add, even add a few things to it that weren't in the story. And I thought, well, this is this will be real interesting because even, you know, I, even though I missed a lot of chunk of things that were going on watching the reconstructions, this will be neat, neat to kind of embellish it. And I felt like it was almost a... I think the main part for that word. he was able to add was I felt like the novelization had more about the actual toy maker and kind of his species and his history than the actual episode did. Like it talks Got about how more he, than I did. He, I remember this, I was kind of surprised that the episode just kind of says, well, he's immortal and he can rebuild whatever he does. Yeah. But it, uh, it never gives an implication that he's a whole species. This is, he's a part of a bigger species yeah. and the book does. The, the episode almost could play it off as renegade time Lord. Yeah, you, you could yeah, you, you could make an argument that there's enough ambiguity about it that be, because of his familiarity with the Doctor and the fact that they have crossed paths before, and especially some, with our adventure. forward knowledge of Omega, right. the fact that he could build universes, yeah, this could easily just be another time. So that's Lord. funny. I didn't get that at all, but I also had uh, Immortals in my head when we were talking about uh, you know, well, what's the uh, Fifth Doctor story when uh, they're the talking Eternals. about oh, the, the Eternals. Eternals. Yeah. yeah. So immediately, That's now, I, I had the retroactive ability to retcon this back. Right. Uh, when I first saw this, my first thought was, oh, he's one of the Eternals, you know. And that's kind of what the book implies to more. Yeah. I think it talks about it more than the actual story does. Right. Um, so I also, the book didn't give me the impression that there was a species. It was almost the same man reincarnated each time. I, I just I got the impression that was more than just him. I think he just said toy makers, but also I got the impression it was just him every time that he, he sort of comes back. But maybe the, I maybe I well, he talked maybe about I cross pollinated that because they were so nonspecific, and in the TV uh, versions of this that maybe I just cross pollinated that and thought. Oh, it's because because I know I knew I've had some foreknowledge of knowing what happens at the end of the story, having watched it right. once before. Maybe that's why I thought, well, he just keeps coming. Well, back at least and, in the book, he talks. The doctor talks about how it won't destroy the toy maker. He'll just have to rebuild his universe. Right. Right. So it, I now, think that's it wouldn't where even I necessarily be there. reincarnation. It's just well, that's he yeah. just continues on more yeah, than anything. Yeah. Um. The. I had a couple of issues with it, but let's sh- Sean talk a little bit about it, and I'll come back to some of the nitpicks I had with it. Um, sticking with the positive first, I, I don't disagree with you guys on, on, on some of the things you brought up. The fact that this is a replacement story, okay, there, there, you, you, there are allowances that have to be made for that. The fact that it was written in a hurry, the fact that we're dealing with uh, a bunch of actors who were brought in to play certain roles and then given a new script and said... We're going to put you in a clown costume. Is that all right? And they they, they rolled with it. You know, okay. You know that that's that's kind of clever. Um, the the fact that it is um, such a quick turnaround and that it is so abstract for something that was put together so quickly, I can give it uh, I can give it a credit for all that. I think it, there's a lot of really nifty ideas uh, surrounding the toy maker and the fact that he you know. It's almost an old sci-fi trope with the idea of an all-powerful being ensnaring uh, 
uh, lesser beings to be playthings. Yeah, it's a common idea. I mean, Star Trek done it, has done it, and uh, G.I. Joe's done it. I mean, there's, there's a ton of them out there. But to do it in this manner, I, I think, is kind of a, a unique thing. But then to give the Doctor that personal knowledge, I thought, was kind of an interesting, oh, all right, this is, this is kind of a cool uh, way of developing that a little bit more. I wish we'd gotten more of it. Well, you yeah. know, that, that to me was the, the story. Less of the jumping through hoops and crawling over chasms and, you know, the, the, the physicality of it. And I'm sorry, the Trilogic game... <laughs> in, in this instance, less is more. And I, I feel like calling it the Trilogic game is enough. That, that was that was enough for me. Seeing the Doctor move blocks around and not explaining it, I would have just been okay with. The minute you set down the rules of, well, you have to move the pieces and you have to move them over here and you can't put a smaller... You know what? I've played that game. I know exactly what game that is. I was three and I was pretty good at it. I, I don't feel like this is a big... This is not a big test of the Doctor's, you know... It, it, it's like the, the the two guys in the in the in the two one of the, one of the, one of these buttons will lead to certain death and one of these buttons will you know and you get the one question that they tell the truth and it's that puzzle it's like we've all seen labyrinth at this point we know how to get out of this one that's not even originally from labyrinth yeah right. but, but yeah. you know what I mean it's you're, you're pulling upon such old school stuff that it was kind of like oh you're gonna you're going to test the doctor's mind with this, you know, quote unquote logic game that is so I mean, that's like when she's chess, why don't you play chess with him? <laughs> you know, I just, I just felt like that was, that, that kind of robbed all of the, so but the, I, the try logic game really had nothing to do with the doctor's test though. Ultimately. No, yeah, it was just and keeping him that's, busy. That's well, what yeah, I liked about yeah. it is it was, it was more of a distraction than it was anything else. But I, I felt like there would have been a, a, a bit more, suspense and intrigue at least on on my end wondering what was going on versus oh for pete's sake Doctor, well but i think that's the, the that's the thing is <laughs> oh, but I, that's part that, of the thing that that's he why get he needed to make sure he didn't finish it before steven and dodo yeah so that's can just rush and that's why either. all of the suspense is put in the hands of the companions this time and i think that that worked especially yeah. since we knew that hartnell was gone so half the time this Toymaker sped it up just to speed it up. Yeah. You know? um, I agree that Michael Gow is a very magnetic uh, and compelling presence. And um, it, it's funny because as somebody who knows Michael Gow primarily as Alfred the Butler. Um, <laughs> from the 89 Batman. From, from the 89 right. Batman and, and on films. Uh, to see him as this very debonair young man. I was like, oh, wow. All right. <laughs> Um, so that was, that was, that was the thing. I've never seen any of the hammer horror films that, that, you know, that he was uh, a star of. So that, that was a difference, but for all of the things that, so he's a, he is, sorry, he is a, a guardian according to the TARDIS wiki. Really? Yeah. One of the guardians of time. Well, and then that's probably divulged later cause he's in big finish. He's in some prose stories right. and things like that. So. So for for all the things that you could kind of put in the in the in the in the plus column, then I kind of fall back on the on the negatives, which for me in, in included the, the the trilogic game. The pacing I felt was wildly off. Um, it, it helped, as you said, Keith, with having read the book. 
thank God <laughs> that I read the book because I knew what I was getting into. But then sitting down and actually, you know, seeing it play out, it was just like, oh, I really had a hard time staying awake through this recon, which recons tend to be more difficult for me than, than most. But this one was really, really rough. Um, I, I, the pacing was just, just unbearable. Um, which is weird considering that, oh, we've got this game, we've got this this, this feat of daring that, that Stephen and Dodo are, are, are fighting for their lives, and I couldn't be bothered to care. Uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was, yeah, yeah. Um, I felt Dodo was pretty much... Dodo's he, Dodo here, though. Yeah. I mean, she's, yeah. she's the same Dodo that we get in the next story, which is the Gunfighters. It's the same Dodo that we got the in the previous story, the Arkham... Uh, Ark in space. There were a couple no, of times. The Ark. The Ark. I was, yeah. I thought, well, I'm not sure what story's next. I don't. I'm not sure. I know which episode Stephen leaves in. Maybe this. He maybe he slips and falls and dies. <laughs> I don't think he dies, but maybe he slips and falls and becomes a toy of the toy maker. I mean, there was some of the suspense that actually worked for me. No. <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, we we've kind of Dodo is. Um, Dota's kind of an enigma in and of herself as far as the, the, the strong companions and the mold. She's not part of that. <laughs> and it's, it's unfortunate because I think they, they, they maybe could have done something with Dodo, but pretty much from the get-go, they didn't. No, and yeah, then absolutely. everybody kind of followed suit with that, and it's no wonder that, I mean, she's only in five stories maybe. I mean, it's a full, like maybe a season worth of stuff. I don't think it's a season. I um, thought I enjoyed her more in this story than previous ones. Of course, the previous ones would be the two other, three others that we've seen. So yeah. yeah. Um, well, she was in the Ark of the Gunfighters. She was in the beginning the, of the well, War Games. Part of the War. Yeah. No, not War, war Games. Machines. War Machines. Yeah, yeah she's machine. at the end of the War Machines. No, she's at the beginning of the War Machines. Does she yeah. leave in the war machine? She yep. leaves in the war machine. Oh, that's right. They pick up Polly in the war machine. And you're right. Polly says, um, Dota says bye, and they take off. Yeah. We don't even see so her. She doesn't even get a departure. She doesn't even get a departure. Yeah. Right. So it's just the massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve and she's the not savages. She's not in that. Well, she's not in massacre. She must show up at the end or something because she's yeah. credited. Well, she might. That's when she might enter the TARDIS, but that her first story is the Ark. In the, the Ark is her mm. first story. Hmm. We've seen that. So. Yeah. And they must recap that because I remember her showing up at the beginning of that one. So that must be a recap. Mm, that must be. Yeah, she was barely, if she was in the massacre, she was barely in the massacre. So. Hmm. Now there's an, there's another chaplet in the massacre, I believe, yes. In fact, uh, when we get to that, there's a terrific headcanon that um, uh, Jessica, I guess it's Chabansky now, um, uh, Ensign does uh, uh, Erica. Erica Ensign does about uh, her lineage and how <laughs> Dodo might be related to another character. But I will get there another date. I loved it. It was so wonderful when they when she expounded on it. Um. um so yeah, it it just it didn't. It, I, I was it was boring. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand. I think what in and of itself it wouldn't bother me as much as it does if it wasn't for the fact that this has kind of been regarded as this classic episode. I mean, there, there's been, oh, the Celestial Toymaker. I mean, it was this lost, you know, Holy Grail I don't know which message thing. boards you've been uh, reading, but uh, no, this is <laughs> this has always been a clunker stinker in most of the uh, 
most, really because I, I, I remember opinion. kind of being a it's, a, a, it's, a golden chalice that, oh we found the gold you know, it is not a golden the, chalice episode. and then this people, one is often bantered about in discussions because of some of the obviously the mandarin dress of of michael Gow. yeah then there's yeah, also yeah. the use of the n-word um uh, although very low and briefly in, in in by the king in in the one story uh there are, are a lot of little things that this is this is poked fun of or brought down as as you know this is not a good story because of these things the, those of those were the things that you know it, it, it went from being you know i don't understand why people regarded this as uh, as, as a classic episode to meh factoring those things in it became it went from meh to i know i really don't like this episode and yeah. the, the the mandarin dress i can even i can you know i, I don't you know I like to dress comfy when I'm at home. I shuffle around without my shoes on, and you know, okay, I'm not, the, the dude's wearing a kimono or whatever. I don't have a problem with that. Not a well, big deal. But the other then thing all you of have a sudden to... you start to listen when you get to the last episode and you hear his speech patterns and how he's See, delivering I didn't, lines. I like, didn't feel like he was. I never, I never felt so? that he no. was putting an ethnic spin on it. And the other thing that I don't feel that they did is they didn't they didn't put him in yellow face for lack of a better term. Right. He does. He's not exuding the character of a. Uh, Asian or Chinaman um, at any time for me. I mean, it's not which Talon's was, bad. Which was, yeah, which was oh, quite shocking not. the first time that I watched it because I had heard so much about people uh, critiquing this story because of the fact that he's the Mandarin, you know, he's in a Mandarin uh, dress. And I just, I, I kept thinking, oh, okay, here we go. Here goes, here goes the, the deep, dark, racist Doctor Who of the past. And then watching it, I, I, I kind of thought, okay, well, Maybe I see some grievances, but I don't see the 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 detriments to it that people are really maybe forcing upon it. So yeah. I, I give them that. The use of the N word that was uh, while part of a nursery nursery rhyme. You guys did catch it, right? I did okay. actually. So it's when he's choosing chairs and he does the old rhyme. Oh, and we'll cha- we've changed it to catch a tiger by its toe. He actually uses the N word, and it's very brief, and he's just doing it kind of under his breath and if you blink your ears once <laughs> you may not hear it uh, i was i only have heard it twice that i've seen it because i was called attention to it mm-hmm. reading it peripherally mm-hmm. before so and it, it's excised from the book obviously right. the book wasn't written till the 1980s but so that's that's why it's almost more uh infamous than famous as far and as see, i hadn't I, I didn't know that was in there i had not read uh, up on it ahead of time and then to hear it, I did hear it, and yeah, was 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 kind of beyond shocked because yes, it's a nursery rhyme, and yes, it's you you have to kind of put the whole okay. Once again, we're dealing with something that was a product of its time, and you know, was there, 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 there's this whole argument that can be made around that, but specifically with with what we're dealing with here. That version of the nursery rhyme is an Americanized version of it. it it's not something that was widely used outside mm-hmm. of America. And for the... When, did we figure out specifically when this episode came out? 66. 66. 66. By 66, it was inappropriate in America. Therefore, it was inappropriate anywhere else. So the use of it in a script that aired on BBC, I found to be... And just not only shocking, but very inappropriate. There's, there's nothing that I feel. How like much you can... do you wonder is 
the actor was told, okay, or it's in the script, the actor... I don't think it's in the script. Does the... It, it does feels, the eeny, meeny, it feels like an miny, improv to me. And it, he just adds yeah. it, and they don't have time to fix it. Yeah. Or they didn't or, catch it. Yeah, it was enough. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. I just... It, it very much is not something that should have been there. And if they didn't catch it, it snuck through, then I guess, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. But, um... Yeah, it, it pulled me right out of the proceedings at that point, and everything kind of ground to a halt, and it was very much a, did I just hear that? Because it's just, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know we, we've had some things specifically it's, with Hartnell yeah. before that we've kind of had to try and make allowances for or right, justify right. and things like that. And um, and like this one, I, I, well, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do this one. I always think of that era when those things happen. It's explanation, but not excuse. It's right. not excuse. Yeah. Um, so you have to put it in that perspective that you know here's the explanation for why it was, but it's never excused that it was. In my opinion, it's never okay. How did you guys sit down to watch the recons? Did you try to watch them all at once? I didn't sit down. I laid on the couch with my <laughs> laptop on my stomach and watched them straight through. All four of them? Both times, actually, yeah. Sean? Um, I did mine uh, straight through, but with See, several I, breaks. I wonder uh, if that's <laughs> why I didn't struggle as much with the recons, was I split them up between several days. Probably, and it's probably a, a way that I probably need to start uh, tackling them is after I've digested the book, do one episode and then yeah. step away from it and then come back and do one more just because doing them in that fashion, I, I just, I, I have to get it, I have to get it through my head that, you know, I, I know this is the way the show was released, but I've always watched right. it in story mode, you know, I've always consumed it in omnibus format, if you will. So it's it's just something that I have to you know reevaluate how I do it. I think one of the going touching on one of the issues that I had with this is, and especially this time reading the book, it didn't happen when I watched it the first time. Is something in the book makes me it almost implies as though these people are were once humans, yeah, and they're trapped here. Yep, and that almost was unsettling to me that the the. Even though Stephen's convinced that they're not, they're just products of the of the toy keepers' mind. And and Dodo is very, she's much more sympathetic because she sees the human nature of what's happening with them. They make mistakes. They do, the, you know, they do some silly things. They have a, a bit of a free will to them. The book really made just it, it implied enough for me that they weren't just concoctions of the toy maker's mind. That maybe they had come there and been trapped, and the only way that they can get out is by winning the game. Well, and the and it almost makes the playing card almost says something similar to that too. Yeah, it almost makes it to the point where I I feel torn to the fact that well, our companions are so glad to get out of there. The doctor should have sort of known. That. It just made me want the doctor to have found a better resolution to get everybody out of there well, rather than just get out of there on the skin of their teeth. And it also makes... That's also the MO of the first doctor, though, too. He doesn't always try well, to it certainly see beyond does, but it just, his TARDIS crew. But I really kind of... It just it, it implied almost a little too much that, that 
you know, to heck with all the rest of you. We're getting out of here. Well, the doctor has a line sense. early too when he he mentions uh, this astronaut. You know, I imagine was somebody who who you know got stuck and couldn't solve your game or whatever. And the toy maker smiles and says, "Perhaps," and takes it away from him yeah, and puts yeah. it back on the shelf. And it's like, so that's a guy. Well, that's it, some guy that got stuck here. It's very heavily implied that that's what's going to happen to Dodo and Stephen. Yeah, well, right. not because at the implied, very end, straight he out has says two chairs he's going to have chairs for yeah. the dollhouse. So. The the thing is though that the and, I, and then watching the television version of this, I recognize that it's not as implied as heavily. There is still some of those mentions that yeah, you pick up almost. on, but it's just not implied as heavily. And in fact, you're almost convinced by Stephen that he's right that these are just con- concoctions of his mind. So it's just that was one of the things that I had a bit of an issue with. My other problem with this, and this goes back to your wanting more of the backstory of their first meeting, is. The doctor shows up. It's familiar trappings. It's familiar setting. He says there's all something very familiar with this. Implies to me that the doctor has entered the toy maker's world. That would have been the only way to have encountered him, right? Uh, yeah. How did he get out the first time without destroying the world? Yeah, that's that's what I want well, to know. Well, the toy maker says when they initially sit down, he says, you left so quickly last time. We didn't get a chance to... So they didn't initiate a game, and that's so why I'm, I'm he got away? I'm assuming he didn't get out of the TARDIS last time. But suddenly the toy maker was smart enough to keep figured the TARDIS out, there. Figured out time. a way to trick oh, him okay. to stay. All right. Well, and the reason I bring that up is because, and I, I have forgotten how this works. Uh, well, I, I do a little bit. Uh, the, the Eighth Doctor encounters him later in a, in a series of comics called Endgame, which is actually very terrific. I really enjoy it. And uh, I, I won't spoil anything for you that, but there's there are a few other encounters that I have read and familiar with where the Doctor was able to escape without, without having to go all the way through a game or something. So mm-hmm. I just... That was one of the things that kind of in the back of my mind, I thought this is a bit inconsistent if it's not explained, but you're right. He does tell him that, that you did leave too soon last time. So, One thing that I found a little frustrating was actually Stephen. I, I know one of his traits, especially since after uh, watching Dollar's Master Plan, is his bullheadedness and his just wanting to run forward and... You know, he just, but throughout some of this, he just felt so aggressive and so angry that I didn't enjoy him as much as a character. I think that Dodo's character contrasts him well enough, though, that to me it's, it strikes a balance in the character. It does. Because she does, you know. And I think that's part of why I probably enjoyed Dodo a little bit more. She does. Because... She does have some compassion and, and takes some different tactics. Yeah. And, and all through that, she's very much, you know, well, we have to play fair. We have to play fair. We have to play fair. Almost to her detriment, in my opinion, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was just one of my my complaints of it was that he was almost too aggressive. I kind of go back and forth with Stephen. There there are times where I appreciate the the almost simplistic nature of of his bullheadedness and his straightforwardness and uh, that man of action style of getting things done. And then there are other times where I agree with you. It's like, oh God, Stephen, come on! You just be, stop and think for a second be, before because you it winds move, up you putting forward. him so much at odds with the doctor or with you yeah. know whoever their you know traveling companion at the moment happens to be um and with dodo because she tends to be such a a wallflower pushover non-entity 
for so many of her stories in a way that almost makes it worse. I don't know that it's such counterbalance as it is that be you know they're, they're striving for that counterbalance, but that almost causes the the aggressive nature of Stephen to ramp up even more, and it becomes almost more prominent. It I feels like I would agree. One of my other issues with this, and again, it's very minor to the story, I think, but um, in the first game with the clowns, they're very quick to point out, well, you're cheating, you can't do that, you're cheating, you can't do that, you're cheating, you can't do that. We get into the next one, and Steven's already ready to say, well, we're not going to tell him about the two <laughs> dolls. They can cheat, we can cheat. Yeah, well, yeah and it's just, it, it felt very, in, in that whole bullheadedness, aggressiveness, and that was a little unsettling to me that you guys are willing to cheat as well. Now, it is a life and death, we get the impression, life and death situation in many instances. But uh, I had a problem with that. But then I also started to overanalyze it again. And I looked back and realized they didn't win any of those games. The, they were, the, their opponents were always beat by themselves. That's in true. the first story... They're caught with the blindfold that's that's the cheat blindfold. And so he has to go through it again, and he ends up in, 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 to, to, to his own demise. In the next room, it's the the just the fact that they were able to get Dodo out of the freezing chair because ultimately in the, 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 the name of the game is you sit down, you pick the wrong chair, you lose. Right. And they're just lucky enough to, by sheer will, to get her out of that chair to allow for the two, the queen and the king, to sit down together and end up, you know, being crushed or squished or whatever was happening to that chair, <laughs> and, and so th- that was their own demise. And then uh, you could probably count the kitchen room if you're going to count that as a game. It was hunting the, the, the thimble or hunting no. the key, as they changed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then the, the only thing. reason they figure out about the pie is because Mrs. What's her name almost telegraphs it, and that's when Dodo catches on and goes, "Oh, it's in the pie. We haven't checked there." It's because not... she's very defensive about that pie. Don't don't well, get near this, that, top, that pie. That game isn't so much against the other people. It's more of a on your own. There's no you are your only winner. It's certainly no is, way, and nobody else was looking no for that key for themselves. Right, uh, but. But but in that situation, it's even still they they gave it to Dodo, and then the key, and then in that last one, Cyril ends up setting himself up for oh, yeah. failure and ends up dying. So it, no nowhere did they, on their own laurels or own merit, win any of those games. And that I thought, looking back on that, I thought, well, that's kind of frustrating because in theory, you've lost this whole thing. <laughs> Ultimately, every time you just lucked into getting through it, so I yeah. kept thinking, well, the, the the toy breakers makers sure praising them for a lot more of not doing than than they did. Yeah, so. he very easily could have had a you stole fizzy lifting drinks moment. Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but again, those were those were minor enough things that uh, you know on on my third iteration of of this story, you know, once watching it through, once reading it, and then watching it again. I'm starting to pick up on those things. Uh-huh. So I'm getting a little more critical of it, but hmm. overall, again, it's to me, it's just it's a middle of the road story. It's interesting that we land on that. You're you like you <laughs> liked it. I was kind of just kind of eh, it's okay, and you didn't like particularly. Like I it. didn't that, particularly. That like rarely it. happens in our situation. It's true. We're very balanced like that. And, and to be fair, also some of my enjoyment of it is how much just I enjoy the '60s Doctor Who at this point. I, there's just something about it, even with Hartnell's era, that. I 
I I don't know if I can just put myself in such a kid mindset while watching it that I just don't have any issues with it or don't find them boring or how I'm starting to split them up of how I view them. But I'm really enjoying the 60s era now. Yeah, wait till we do the massacre. <laughs> See, that's... And I thought I'd feel that way with Dog's Master Plan because it is so long. I thought I would be frustrated and kind of bored by it, but I still enjoyed it. So That's actually... But I, we forced you to break that one up. Well, that's true. <laughs> but I still would have. I, I I still could have not broken up what we did in chunks, anyways. And I still broke that up as yeah. I did it. I'm envious, honestly, <laughs> of, of you being able to look at this era that way. I, I, I I've for, for as long as we've been doing this, for as long as I've been a Doctor Who fan and gone back to the Hardnell era, there are are always things that I can pull out of a Hardnell episode and go, "Well, that was cool." But frequently, it's difficult. It's it, it, there, there, there are very, very few Hartnell episodes that I watch just because I enjoy them. Mm. There are, are many, many more of them that I watch because it's homework or it's something that, well, I need to watch it because I'm trying to work my way through the series or see all of them or, or whatnot and then go, oh, i got to watch a Hartnell. And it, it just, it's, it's, more often than not, it feels like a chore. And so the fact that you can do that, I'm re- I'm really quite amazed. And, and I think so, some of it is just the amazement of what they were able to pull off in the '60s with such a small budget. Even though at this point their budget was probably fairly large in comparison to other shows or what it was previously. I loved the dollhouse set. I thought that the was dollhouse really set was great. Neat. I even like the liked... kitchen was even good for as simple, but also as eloquent yeah. as it was. Yeah, I really liked all the sets. The first one. The Snakes and Ladders was the only one I felt a little disappointed by, based yeah. just based off my imagination. So but everything else lived up more, to what I imagined. Bit more kids' obstacle course, yeah, than, yeah. yeah. And if even they if, hadn't have used the word Snakes and Ladders, I would have, I probably would have imagined something more like what we actually showed. But because the book described it like a live action Snakes and Ladders game, it was completely not what I imagined. Right. Right. Well, and then the other thing I think that is that is unfortunate is when they get to the last room, I had forgotten what the room looked like. I remember they had to jump from tile to tile in a, game, a board game. But when it described the pinball machine room looking looking like a pinball machine, I thought, oh, I don't remember what that looked like. I'll really pay attention this time and see what it looks like. And it's just a dark room with it's a just hole a... and a <laughs> arrows on the floor. Right. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> obviously. Like, like a normal board. Jerry sort of <laughs> embellished that for the book a bit. <laughs> This is what we wanted. This is what we got. <laughs> as as written, there was some neon and there was some some flashing lights and a big bell and you know we actually built a bumper and then we went to the prop department. And they said no, you, you don't get any of that. You get you get an error on the floor. We went oh okay. Here's an interesting thing about this: is the first time I watched. Well, the first time I watched, no 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 big deal. Second, and then when I read it, I was like. Well, why isn't this rob- robot in it? That would have been cool to be able to see the robot with the the, the display in its chest oh, and and, and, it is. and it's showing. Yeah, I went back and watched it. How did I miss this this mechanical looking robot? It was a toy, looked like a toy robot, it was similar to the one we used in the great, short film. Yeah. And I was like, how did I miss this? I think I had I have no memory of that robot being in recon the first time, <laughs> no memory whatsoever. And I was I was sitting there reading that book, going, wow, that would have been cool. That the robot's neat. This must be what they added for the book. I go back and I'm like, wait a minute, though the robot's here. I just how did I block that out of my head? <laughs> Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. Because at this point, like, there's so many robots. So it's like, <laughs> eh, man. Yeah. Everybody needs a robot sidekick. Anything else on this one you guys want to 
touch on. I I'm really, so. I'm really glad that we're doing the target novelizations as we do the recons. Yeah, because me too. I, I have found that that's just that spoonful of sugar I need now. Because I've gone back and watched a lot of the recons, and there's some that I've struggled on, and and we've talked in the past where I've most often preferred to use the linking narration audios because they're so much easier on me. But uh, going back after having read the the books now, it's just the recons are so much better. So, oh yeah, and I, I like this version better than sitting down with the script while watching it or something like that, or just right. trying to read the script. I, I like the novelization because it also just adds some fleshing out sometimes that Absolutely. I like. And it's fun to compare the novelization to what actually aired. Yeah, what they've added, what they've embellished, yeah. what they've pulled yeah. out. So it was no crusade, but. <laughs> See, and so far, all the right recons we've done, I, there's not been one that I'm like, oh, that was so hard to get through. Cool. What do we got coming up on the schedule, Sean? Well, coming up on the schedule, um, my goodness, next week is uh, is New Year's, isn't it? It sure is. Well, that means uh, we're going to have a, a whole show um, that is uh, around our New Year's, uh, New Year's, New Year's New Who. What, what, what did you say, what did you say the name of it was? Resolution. Resolution. Of the no no just that comes out Tuesday <laughs> of next week, right? Yes. yes, yes. On the first. So be aware that this episode, day. the next week's episode, probably will be late to the feeds. So. Yes. Yeah. Consequently, because Consequently, well, yes. you know, our subject material doesn't drop until Tuesday. So. Right. Right. And that also means it will likely be a shorter turnaround between next episode and the episode after that. Right. And then the, uh, the, the following week uh, will be, uh, as discussed, which I did not update the schedule, shame on me, uh, but as discussed last week, we are changing and flipping uh, those two dates, will be our look at um, the two Seventh Doctor stories. We'll be doing um, the Titan Comics, is it Operation Volcano? Yes. And then uh, the Big Finish um, 109-ish, somewhere in there. <laughs> 109-ish. 109-ish. <laughs> 109-ish. Uh, just look it up. It's one of those. And uh, so we'll be doing that with it. Very good. All right. Well, is there anything else you guys want to add before we close this uh, show out? I don't think so. All right. Well, if that's going to do it for this time, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.